Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Show me your paths and teach me to follow. Guide me by your truth and instruct me. You keep me safe, and I always trust you in Him. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, Contemporary English Version Truth will last forever. Lies are soon found out. Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 19 Contemporary English Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books, and part-time magician. It seems like when he's around, things in the office either disappear or move around with no explanation. Well, today, R.D., You said that you wanted to continue the discussion we began last time about the nature of truth and how we determine what is true when there are competing truth claims. So, let's start with a simple question that concerns truth and magic. How did that box of pens I put in the storage cabinet last week disappear so quickly? Well, that's a very good question, but... Uh Uh-oh. Whenever there's a but following a non-answer, it's pretty certain there's no useful information forthcoming. But your question is an excellent example of how important the truth is to our daily lives, especially if you're looking for a fine-line gel-point pen to mark up a script. And it's an example of how difficult it can be sometimes to determine the truth. Anyway, I think that how we can determine what happened to the pens is a great lead-in to our subject today, because today you wanted to move on from our discussion last time when we discussed the nature of truth, and you want to talk about how it is possible for us to determine the truth, especially when the question at issue is more substantive than what happened to those silly pens. Yes. Our discussion last time was about the nature of truth. Today I want to talk about what I'm calling the tools of truth. So let's do a brief review of what we learned about the nature of truth using a list of those things that we can state that truth is, as well as those things that truth is not. I'll start out with the list of things that truth is. First and foremost, truth is that which corresponds to reality. As such, knowing the truth is extremely important, not only for living meaningful lives in the here and now, but also for determining our eternal destiny. Truth is also always absolute and singular. While true statements about individual circumstances may change through time, like whether there are gel point pens in the storage cabinet, a true statement about that condition remains true regardless of future changes in status. So if there were no pens in the cabinet on Tuesday, The fact that the pins return on Wednesday doesn't change the fact, the truth, that the pins were missing on Tuesday. Which leads us to our list of what truth is not. Truth is not dependent on people's perceptions or opinions about it. So this means that truth is never determined by majority opinion. 
Truth is also not altered by errors, deviations, or lies told about it. In other words, just because someone presents an alternative to a specific truth, the presentation of an alternative does not change the original truth. All that the existence of alternatives means is that there are now competing truth claims which leads us to the issue we want to get to, what you are calling the tools of truth. You're really referring to how we can judge between competing truth claims, to know which claim is actually, well, true. Precisely. In life, we're going to always be confronted with competing truth claims on a regular basis. Now, some of those claims may be relatively easy to resolve, like where the pins are now, but others may be more difficult to sort out. But some of those claims that are the most difficult to sort out can sometimes, in fact, usually probably are, the most important. Because those kind of truth claims, whether there is a God, whether Jesus is his son, whether the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, many of those truth claims, which are more difficult to judge between the various competing alternatives, don't just affect our lives in the here and now. They will affect where we spend eternity. So it's important for us, it's important for everybody to be able to sort out those kinds of truth claims and arrive at reasoned and supportable conclusions. All right. Then how do we start sorting out competing truth claims? What process do we use? The basic process of sorting among competing truth claims to determine which claim is valid should always, in my opinion, be done using a process of logic, reason, and evidence. Now, sometimes applying the process is pretty simple and almost automatic. But sometimes the process can be a bit more complicated. Regardless of whether it's simple or complicated, the basic process, in my opinion, for judging between competing truth claims remains the same. I think a lot of people would think that those three terms, logic, reason, and evidence, are pretty close in meaning. So what do you mean when you use them? Well, let's start by taking a look at logic. Logic is the set of principles, or laws, if you will, that guide you in making valid decisions. It goes without saying that it is a huge area and countless books have been written about the science and study of logic. To discuss this area in any kind of detail would take far longer than we have on this show. And of course, there's an entirely other area of study of logic, and that's the study of logical fallacies. That's a very popular area of study, especially in certain academic disciplines like philosophy. But for our purposes today, we really just need to think about a few basic rules that all of us know intuitively. It's just that we rarely think about them specifically. Such as? Well, the most fundamental law of logic is the law of non-contradiction. And it can be fairly simply stated as A cannot be both A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. Of course, a classic example of this law of non-contradiction is that biologically, a woman may be both a daughter and a mother, but she cannot be the daughter and the mother to the same other person. A man may be biologically a father and a son, but he will not be biologically a father and a son to the same other person. Now, we apply the principle of non-contradiction every day to live safe lives and to sort out problems we rarely think about. Now, another very commonly used principle that we don't often think about is what is called the law of causality, which might be simply stated as, every effect requires a necessary and sufficient cause. Without wanting to jump too far ahead, 
The law of causality is one that is particularly troublesome for ardent atheists. Empirical observations show that the universe had a beginning, and the second law of thermodynamics means that someday the universe will run out of energy and have an end. So anything that has a beginning and an end can't be eternal, which means that the universe needs a cause outside of itself to explain its existence. So the law of causality points directly to the need for a creator God. Exactly. But as you said, let's not jump too far ahead. Let's just sort of revisit the fact that I mentioned earlier that one part of the study of logic has to do with logical fallacies. Now, logical fallacies means that something has entered into our analysis or decision-making process that is fallacious in how it attempts to apply a particular observation. For instance, one of the best-known logical fallacies is the invalid form of an ad hominem argument. Ad hominem just means to the person, and there can be an ad hominem argument that's made in both a valid way, but also in an invalid way. So the invalid form of the ad hominem argument would be something like, well, I don't think you're right about Jesus rising out of the tomb because you have gray hair. Well, I may have gray hair, and that may be a legitimate observation, but it has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus rose out of the tomb. So an ad hominem attack is an attack on the person rather than an attack on the proposition at issue. Well, let's think about reason for a second. Logic and reason are similar, but whereas the laws of logic are the principles that guide correct decision-making, I think of reason as the application of those principles to a particular analytical process. In other words, reason is the human faculty or ability for being able to apply logical principles. So, like all human abilities, not everyone possesses the same innate level of reasoning ability any more than every person can sing or dance equally well or throw or catch a ball. But the good news is that reason can be developed or improved through study and practice, and developing your ability to reason can actually help a Christian improve their witness in a world that's often hostile to that witness. And reasoning ability is vital when it comes to sorting through competing truth claims. So if we believe that the biblical account of the confrontation between David and Goliath is historically accurate, we have to be able to provide a reasoned explanation for the belief against the counterclaims that it is either an allegorical story or worse, mythical. But again, we should emphasize that the fact that there are counterclaims does not change the underlying truth. As we discussed last time, the existence of alternative truth claims does not in any way affect the original truth. As our second opening scripture, Proverbs 19.12 says, Truth will last forever. Lies are soon found out. Though it seems like some lies do last a long time. Anyway, we've covered logic and reason. So that leaves evidence as the third tool of truth. And I guess it would be a little cheeky to say that the nature of evidence is, well, self-evident. Yes, it would. So, given that, evidence is the body of facts, observations, or details that form the basis upon which the reasoning process is based. Now, someday I want to do an entire series just on the nature and types of evidence because I think it's so pertinent to the demonstration that the Bible is the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God. But for today, for just a second, let's think about a couple of the most basic distinctions about evidence with which most of us are familiar, even if we never think about them. 
Let's start with the fact that there is a difference between direct and circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence is evidence that relies on an inference to connect it to a conclusion of fact, such as a fingerprint found at the scene of a crime. By contrast, direct evidence supports the truth of an assertion directly. In other words, it supports the truth of the assertion without the need for any additional evidence or inference. Now, examples of direct evidence would be things like an audio tape of a suspect admitting to a crime or a videotape of the suspect entering the building. And this kind of distinction between direct and circumstantial evidence is made in courtrooms around the world, or certainly around this country, every day. But this distinction is also important when we think about the kinds of competing truth claims that arise out of the Bible such as whether the flood of Noah was literally true or whether Jesus rose from the dead. Uh Uh-oh. I sense some danger in the near future. You're about to make one of those statements that causes head scratching or headaches. Ah, you know me so well. Yes. Well, here's a truly mind-boggling statement, but one that is absolutely true. Since eyewitness testimony is direct evidence, The only direct evidence that we have about certain historical events, like creation, comes from the Bible. Because the Bible, as the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, is the direct testimony of that God who inspired the writing of the Bible. And so that's one of the reasons that it's so important to have a firm grasp on the validity and reliability of Scripture, Because in Scripture, we have, quite literally, the only direct evidence of a large number of historical events that are so important to the Christian faith. And as a general rule, direct evidence is more compelling than circumstantial evidence, isn't it? Well, all other things being equal, I think that most advocates would prefer to have direct evidence to support their contention or assertion, But that doesn't diminish, and certainly I wouldn't want to diminish, the importance of circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence can be used to strengthen a case whose foundation is direct evidence, and circumstantial evidence is also important because it can be used to rebut opposing truth claims. I think those are reasonable, no pun intended, observations. All right, you are calling logic, reason, and evidence the tools of truth. So how are those tools employed in the search for truth, which often involves choosing among competing truth claims? Well, let's think about it this way for a minute. Logic, reason, and evidence roughly correspond to the tools that you need to say, make a cake. Now, to make a tasty cake... So, not like the ones you make. Definitely not like the cakes I've made in the past. Anyway, to bake a successful cake, you need a recipe, the right ingredients and someone who can put it all together to crack the eggs, fold in the flour, mix, put it in the oven. And take it out of the oven at the right time. Precisely. So we can think of the laws of logic as the instructions that are contained in the recipe. The evidence is the ingredients in our truth cake, and reason is the process of assembling, mixing, and baking. So if we're making a cake and we mess up any of the parts of the process, we wind up with something inedible. Same thing with using logic, reason, and evidence to determine the truth. We have to use them all properly to arrive at the real truth. But that, of course, raises the question of how we know whether, even if we've done our best using the tools, we've arrived at the correct conclusion. I mean, we can taste the cake to see whether we did everything properly, 
But it's not quite that easy when it comes to making a determination about whether Jesus did come out of the tomb or whether Noah really did build an ark and survive a worldwide flood. I completely agree that when it comes to knowing some of what I've referred to as the big truths, we don't always have, matter of fact, we rarely have a simple and inarguable way of knowing that we have arrived at the correct conclusion. But that's quite a different thing from saying that we can't have confidence in our decision-making process and in the conclusions that our process produces. If we are willing to do some careful analysis and study, We can not only know the truth, we can have a very high degree of confidence in our conclusions. You know, sometimes I think that Christians think that we go through the kinds of analysis that I've been talking about, knowing the nature of truth and using the tools of truth to discover truth, as a way just to persuade unbelievers, in other words, as a way to win arguments. But that is an extremely limited way of thinking about this subject. I think I see where you're going with all this. Certainly. One reason Christians should understand the nature of truth and how to sort through competing truth claims is to explain our beliefs to unbelievers. That is complying with the commandment we have in 1 Peter 3.15, which says that we are to always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. But the following verse, verse 16, says that we are also to give a kind and respectful answer and keep your conscience clear. So Peter is saying that by being able to give answers to people who want to know why we are Christians, not only serves the person asking the questions, but also serves the Christian. Being able to give reasonable answers helps us keep our consciences clear. Exactly. In this day and time, in our country and really around the world, attacks are being mounted against Christianity, against the Christian faith every day. Now, of course, in a certain sense, this has been true throughout the entire history of the church. So I don't think that we are necessarily experiencing anything particularly unique. And I'm not concerned that these attacks against the Christian faith are going to succeed. Jesus said in Matthew 16:18 that the gates of Hades, that the gates of hell, would not prevail against his church. But sometimes in the midst of so much opposition, it can be hard for Christians to retain their sense of confidence that what they believe to be true really is true. In other words, understanding how to properly use the tools of truth isn't just important for discussions that believers might have with unbelievers, it's also important so that believers can be confident, really confident, in their own faith. So what you're saying is that it's important for Christians to think through the big questions that lead to the transcendent truths so they can be strengthened in their personal faith so they can be fully confident as they go about their daily lives and worship. Yes. Now, in our next show, we're going to delve more deeply into the nature of faith, but just for today, it's important to recognize that the Christian faith is not a faith that is in opposition to logic, reason, and evidence. To the contrary, the Christian faith is based on logic, reason, and evidence. Sometimes I think that many Christians are afraid of those terms. They're afraid of the use of logic, reason, or evidence because they somehow see faith as being something different from those. Well, the Christian faith is a faith that's based on evidence, and it's arrived at by applying logic and reason to that evidence, including evidence that's derived from science. So it's important for Christians to recognize that the application of logic and reason to evidence will, in fact, support the Christian faith. So Christians can be very confident that their faith is not a faith that has to be afraid of logic, reason, or evidence, 
but their faith is grounded on, it's surrounded by, and it's established by those things. In other words, Christians can be very confident that their faith is, in fact, a faith that's based on and established by the truth. And that goes back to one of what you call your trick questions. You sometimes ask believers, why are you a Christian? You believe that the best answer to that question has to begin with the observation that the claims of Christianity are true, objectively, propositionally, and historically. And this view isn't something you came up with. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that the Christian faith is one that is grounded in a single historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. Writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul rebukes some of the Corinthian believers for not believing that it's possible for the dead to rise to life. Paul says that if the dead can't rise to life, then Jesus couldn't have risen out of the tomb. And if Jesus didn't rise out of the tomb, then their faith that Jesus saved them from their sins was null and void. Right. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul made it expressly clear that the Christian faith is a faith grounded in reason and evidence. Now, in that chapter, he employs actually the valid form of the ad hominem argument to demonstrate that a disbelief in the resurrection would invalidate their entire faith. So, you know, as we mentioned earlier, there's an invalid form of the ad hominem argument, but there's also a valid form of it. And that's where you take the other person's viewpoint and demonstrate to them that if you just follow that viewpoint along, it's going to result in an unreasonable conclusion. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul actually uses the valid form of the ad hominem argument to give us, in just a few sentences, a very compelling example to all of us that we need to understand the evidence that supports Christianity, the laws that govern logic, and to be able to use reason to demonstrate the basis for our beliefs. Now again, this is so completely opposite of what you hear today so often, where you'll hear somebody say something like, well, you have your faith, but I believe in science and reason. A lot of Christians find themselves intimidated by those kinds of assertions because they've never heard anyone talk about the errors that are embedded in assertions like that. Christians, in fact no one, needs to make a choice between whether they place their trust in Christianity or so-called science and reason. That's a false dichotomy. Logic, reason, and evidence, including scientific evidence, support the truth of the Christian faith. It's just that most people have probably never had anyone present them with an appropriate explanation for how that's true. Exactly. In a certain sense, it's sad that we have to spend so much time discussing issues like the nature of truth or the tools that we can use in the truth discovery process. But frankly, in the atmosphere, especially in our culture today, it's essential that we do so. You know, one of the scariest statistics that I've ever seen, and I saw it recently, was that up to 75% of the kids that are raised in Christian households lose their faith when they leave home. Now, of course, many of those kids who lose their faith lose it when they go off to college and encounter other belief systems, some belief systems that directly challenge Christianity. And no small percentage of Christian kids lose their faith over the issue of evolution versus biblical creation. And that's one of the big reasons that we did our Truth in Genesis series with Dr. Jonathan Sarfati to provide an overview of how real science actually supports the Genesis account rather than refuting it. Even though the belief that science refutes biblical creationism, even though that view is popular, it's actually just dead wrong. 
But as a church, we have to do a better job of equipping our believers, whether they're young or old, to deal with the challenges to their faith that they are going to confront. And it's a good idea to note that in preparing to confront these challenges, that we are imitating Jesus. When Jesus encountered opponents in Jerusalem, he said to the opponents, Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, and you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. So not only did the Apostle Paul say that the Christian faith was grounded in evidence, but Jesus himself said the same thing. I think that is an excellent observation. But before we close today, I want to make one more observation about using logic, reason, and evidence to support our search for the truth. Christians should use logic, reason, and evidence as we pursue the truth, but Christians also do have one advantage that those people who are not Christians do not have. Romans 8.16 tells us that Christians can be sure that we know the truth because we have the inward assurance that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So no matter what challenges the world chooses to pose to us as it confronts our faith, we have the assurance from God himself, we have the assurance of the Holy Spirit internally to us that he has led us to the truth. That's certainly a powerful and comforting thought and a great way to close for today. Since the Holy Spirit is the one who provides the assurance to us that we are, in fact, God's children, today let's hear a prayer of adoration for the Holy Spirit. A prayer of adoration of the Holy Spirit. Great and mighty God, you are the searcher of men's hearts and the only true joy for their souls. We worship gladly the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you rule and reign with the Father and the Son. When the Son completed his work and ascended to the Father, you came to be our comforter, instructor, and advocate. You came to take away our spiritual blindness and to make us alive to things of God. At Pentecost, you affirmed your presence in the world and established your dominion in the hearts of those who belong to the Son. Praise be to the one who tells us the truth about Jesus and who strengthens us against the forces of powers of wickedness that attack us in our humanity. Left to ourselves, we could never stand against the wiles of the evil one. But in you, we have victory, for greater are you than Satan who is in the world. You are worthy of exaltation and adoration, for you are fully God and Lord. You regenerate our hearts and bring light to our minds. Since you fully possess all knowledge and wisdom, you are the supreme teacher who not only imparts wisdom, but also gives us the capacity to absorb and understand that which you teach. Lord, we pray that we would be sensitive to your leading, and we praise you for being the faithful minister to our souls. Time and time again, you have gone before us to find the path that we should travel. You have never left us, even in those times we have grieved you or resisted your work. 
finite man cannot fully comprehend the wondrous relationship that is shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that the three persons of the Holy Trinity are perfect in unity, holiness, and beauty. We marvel at the grace manifested to us by the Father's sending, the Son's coming, and the Spirit's abiding. Surely such love deserves the response of full dedication to the one who first loved us, and we pray that such commitment might mark our lives. We lift our voices in songs of adoration, and with the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is our God, and worthy to be praised. We bow before the light of our lives, the Lord of the universe, the Lamb of God. In Christ's precious name, we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.